Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this morning, for Sunday morning. Thank you for Sundays. We thank you, God, that you've given us a group of people like this that are many things to us as far as encouragement, hope, perspective, accountability. And yet partners in the idea that we are worshiping together. That's what makes Sundays different from all the other days. We worship You, God, every day. Our whole lives should be worshipped to You, Lord. But it is Sundays when we meet with other people who believe what we believe to worship You. We're thankful for that. God, we began the Psalms last week and now we go to the second Psalm. We ask, Lord, that You would speak to us and give us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to the second Psalm, Psalm 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. The Black Pew Bible there in front of you, page uh, 485, I believe. Psalm 2. It's either 485 or 458. Psalm 2. And I told you all last week we're just going to go through the Psalms leading up to Christmas, so we can't hit all 150 Psalms. So we're just going to uh, do some of the psalms, but we are going to go in order from Psalm 1 to Psalm 2 because Psalm 2 is so good. We can't miss that. If we're picking and choosing which psalms we're going to go through, Psalm 2 is not one that we can overlook, especially when we are wanting to hit the psalms that are clearly uh, about Jesus. Psalm 2 is one of those. Last week, I used Psalm 1 as an introduction And Psalm 1 shows us in many ways that there are two types of people in the world. Those that are influenced by people and those that are influenced by the Word of God. Now, to some extent, every one of us are influenced by people and every one of us are influenced by the Word of God. To some extent, for better or worse, that's true. But who we are at the very core is it the sayings and influence and, 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 and connections to people that most influences us? Or is it the rock-solid Word of God that influences us? And Psalm 1 puts it that way, which, which I pointed out last week is, is very helpful in thinking through it's not so much what we are, because some days I'm happy and some days I'm not. And some days I'm steady and some days I am tossed to and fro. Psalm wants us to see ourselves not so much as, as who, Psalm 1, not so much as who we are, but rather what is it that influences us to be what we are. And it says, the blessed man is not the man who uh, walks in the way of sinners or stands with scoffers or sits with them. Instead, he is the one who delights in the Word of God. And then he talks about how there's two different types of people and what they're influenced by, and he breaks it down with the wicked will perish. They are like chaff that the wind blows away and is gone. But those who are influenced by the Word of God are called here the righteous. And they will be safe in the midst of those that are perishing. And that's how the whole book of Psalms begins. 
And then we go to Psalm 2. And many people think that this could be a connection to Psalm 1, kind of like a two different psalms that go together to be an intro, and, and that may work because there are lots of similarities. And it carries it from being individuals, two types of individuals in the world, to being their two types of nations in the world. It looks at people as a cluster, as a group. Instead of speaking about a man that is either blessed or not blessed in Psalm 1, it now speaks about a nation that is either blessed or not blessed in Psalm 2. Psalm 1 begins with, blessed is the man. Psalm 2 ends with, blessed are all. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man. Psalm 2.12, blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You've lived long enough already to know that life ends quickly. I did a funeral this week for a 92-year-old. 92 is a long life. That is a long life. Psalm 90 says that man's average length of life is 70 years, and if he's a strong Man, he'll live to be 80. 92 is a long life. To say that I might live for another 57 years sounds humorous. I'm exhausted at 35. I really am. And I sleep eight hours a night. Yet, at the funeral of a 92-year-old this week, I saw many people crying, saying, I can't believe she's gone. I'm never going to see her again. I'll never get to talk to her, visit her, hug her. I'm going to miss her so much. Y'all, life is short. And we've believed the lie or the influence, if we want to follow Psalm 1, in thinking that it's all about this life that it's all about now, and that it's all about today. It's so not true. Christians, rather those who know God, are people who have such more emphasis in prioritizing and a commitment to eternity. Eternity. What will happen after life? Paul would say that I... Know that the suffering in this life is hardly anything compared to the glory that awaits us. We would be able to endure suffering here of any type if we would have our focus on eternity and being with God forever. And we know this. The kids will eat all their vegetables if they get the cookie afterward. But if they're not going to get the cookie afterward, and they know that, they won't eat the vegetables. We know from God of eternal life, of knowing Him, of forever. And so we should be filtering our lives' experiences here through that. 
That's what causes us to live in allegiance to Him. That's what helps us see how we are supposed to be. That's what gives our lives shape and purpose and meaning is that we understand God. Psalm 2 takes what Psalm 1 has already introduced, that life's about God. There's two types of people. We are completely in the wrong to be against Him. And Psalm 2 states it even more. Frankly, I want to give you four points today. Number one, the nation's rage. A little bit of alliteration today. They're all going to have an R. The nation's rage. Number two, God's reaction. Number three, the son's reign. R-E-I-G-N. His royal reign. Number four, the sinner's refuge. Rage, reaction, Rain and refuge. Read with me, if you will, Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Psalm 2 is totally politically incorrect. There's a lot here that's heavy. I don't want us to confuse the heart of God today. I want us to see it with clarity. Let's begin at verse 1 and just walk through the passage. It begins with some questions. Why? Why do the nations rage? Questions that you may have asked before. Why do the peoples plot in vain? What what is going on in the world? That people are raging against God. Y'all know what rage is? I'm so frustrated. I'm so mad about things that I I can't take it. One of the biggest pet peeves in in our home is when the kids refuse to tie their shoes and so they only want to slip them on while they're already tied. And have you ever seen a six or seven year old struggle on the ground trying to wiggle their foot inside some shoes that are already tied for five minutes? And you say, just untie them and tie them back. No, it takes too long is what they say. And it's tied too tight that it can't wiggle in there. Well, this week, one of my sons, I won't tell you which one, was in that 
dreadful effort and couldn't get it, picked up his shoe and said, hate this! And blasts his shoe down in a fit of rage because he couldn't slip it in there with it already tied. And I just kind of chuckled to myself and thought, whenever that rage is over, he'll figure out a way to get it on. Probably untie it and retie it. The Bible asks the questions, why do the nations rage? The, the, the nations are raging over God right now. The idea of a one true and living God that loves them and that made them and they're accountable to is driving people crazy at the current moment of 2015 in the world. We have places in the world where it is illegal to say you believe in that God. Illegal. There are places in the world right now where if you say, I believe in the God of the Bible, you will be killed by law. What rage. We so oppose God that if you identify yourself with God, just simply saying in great humility that I believe in God, you will be killed, put to death. They're raging. Raging. But I want you to know that it's not just faraway countries that are raging against God. It's, it's us too. Here, there are many places where the Bible is not allowed. We have been told many times not to use the Bible. The Bible is not allowed. We have rulings even going on this month that say the Bible is not allowed to be used in the counseling of young people. The Bible is forbidden to be used in the counseling of young people. We rage against God and His advice. Beyond that, we have that prayer is not allowed. Prayer. Not the authoritative Word of God that does come to us like authority, but even just prayer. Coaches and teachers are not allowed to pray in their classroom. They are not allowed to. We rage against God. Oh, that He might answer the prayer. We rage against Him. And it's not just the countries that are far away. It's not just the leadership in those different categories that are raging against God. It's, it's me and you too. Like when our lives cry out for our worldly desires and somebody, anybody might tell us that we are in the wrong and we rage against it. Don't tell me what the Word of God says. Don't tell me why I'm wrong. Who are you to judge me and tell me wrong? Why are you always trying to stir the pot? Why are you always trying to get up in my business? We rage against somebody telling us the goodness of God. The psalmist asks, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain asking everything that might be done against the, or in this raging is vain. It's worthless. 
You cannot go against God. The Psalms say that our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. It is, it is the most foolish thing, attempt, or effort of anybody in the world to say, I'm going against God. How vain can you get? You cannot win that one. You cannot. And history is full of testimony after testimony after testimony of big, strong efforts to go against God and defeat Him, and yet He cannot be defeated. He cannot. It's, it's a raging against Him. It is a vain attempt to go against Him. Verse 2 says, The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointing. Effort is going on right now to go against God in the world, in your homes and in our world, in countries. How can I go against God and still be okay? How can I live in my sin and still make it to heaven? How can I still say I believe in Jesus and yet not believe His Word? Applauding an attempt of setting ourselves up against Him. This very passage that I'm reading here is just Psalm 2, 1 and 2. is the very subject of Acts chapter 4 in the first ever sermon that we have. Sorry, the second sermon that we have in the book of Acts by Peter. And Peter sees the, the, like the pinnacle, the peak of the, of the raging and plotting against God to be in Christ. People raged against the Lord Jesus. Listen to what he says. I'm at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, When they were released from prison, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? They're quoting Psalm 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. They see the anointed to be Jesus Christ Himself. Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. The apostles of the New Testament who were close to Jesus saw that the very focus of nations raging against God is if God gets near us, we will kill Him. And we still have so many people and philosophers happening even today in, in, in many schools and universities telling people that God is not real, God is not dead. You are so foolish to try to align your lives. A college student in our church this week called me. Their first ever week of classes in college ever calls me and says their teacher just told, their professor just told them this week that Southern Baptist preachers, that's me, are hypocrites and just want to get to your emotions so that I will get your money. That was taught in Louisville at a university about me. Just for clarity, I don't want your money. We don't either. You can see First Baptist Fairdale is not concerned about the expert, top-notch facilities. We want to love and serve people that we might proclaim Jesus to them and watch what happens with faithfulness 
The Bible teaches for people to honor the Lord with their wealth. And that will happen. It is a very intentional focus of mine to not bring up money much at all. Do I expect people of our church to give their money? I do, but... I loved that when our person heard their professor say that, they were met with, I've never really felt him getting at my emotions and asking me for money. But that's the raging that goes on in our world against God. And the apostles tell us in Acts chapter 4, the apostles tell us in Acts chapter 4 that what is being said in Psalm 2, 1 and 2 finds its real meaning in people saying, Jesus died because we hate Him, not because God loves me. What a raging. How twisted do you have to be for God to say, I love you and I will kill my son for you and you say, no, we hate Him, we're killing Him. What a rage. That's scary rage. Psalm 2 verse 3 says, here's what they say in their raging. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. This is amazing, fascinating. This is them saying that we have a connection to God. We know that, we sense that, and we want to get rid of it. Let us cut whatever it is that has us connected to God. And yet... The world rages thinking that it is is the church perhaps or the teaching perhaps that has made them feel this connection to God. But rather, I don't think so. I would argue that the majority of the people that are living in the world today have no idea what we teach. They have no idea what Jesus actually says. Had a man in our church this week who worked the right to life booth at the state fair, uh, arguing for uh, adoption and arguing against abortion, wanting there to, to help people, and found himself in the booth working with another person. And, and that person was from a different denomination. And that person was saying to him that he, uh, he says, Well, I used to be a part of that denomination, but, but, but now I'm a Baptist. And, and they said, well, man, you, you really went wrong. You know, they, those Baptists believe the Bible the wrong way and they interpret it wrong and all that. And he said, well, I, I don't know about that. They said, yeah, well, well we're, we're the ones that are right. Kind of a conversation like that. And they said to him, well, you interpret the Bible wrongly. That's what Baptists do. And that's why you left our denomination. And he said, have you ever read the Bible? And they answered, no, we don't have to. We don't have to read the Bible. My point is, where does our rage come from against God if we don't know what God has said? Our rage is coming with us knowing deep down there's something wrong with us. My problem is me, not what y'all have taught me. My problem is me, not the way y'all have affected me. And your problem is you. And their problem is them. And again, Josh's problem is Josh. And the rage that comes in is that God has made me in His image to know Him and to be like Him. And I don't want that. I want to be like me. I want to live for me, focus on me, make me happy, get y'all to like me, love me, approve of me. I want to be all about me. And everything in life that makes that not happen well causes me to rage. 
And everybody in the room knows people raging right now, furiously raging. And when the rage stops, because it does, you know what happens next? Depression. People don't rage long. This week, a man goes and shoots up a TV station news, right? He was raging at them. But then he dies. We go from raging to depressed. Our problem's not them. Our problem's not God. Our problem is me and me not wanting to see that God is who I'm for. That God made me and He loves me. We rage against Him. And the very words in verse 3 is, let me break free from this. I don't want to hear anything that God says ever, ever again. I want to just live how I want to live. Let me live. What a raging. God teaches us that everything that He has done in our lives for us is is good stuff. Jesus says that His yoke is easy and His burden is light. I want to read you this one verse right here from Hosea chapter 11, verse 4. It says, I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, and I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws, and I bent down to them and fed them. God has been good to us. He takes care of us. He loves us. And yet we see Him in our rage as being bad for us. That is not true. We think that it's like a yoke of slavery. That's what sin feels like. I have to do this, I have to do that. I mean, we rage against that. So Psalm 2 begins with the first three verses saying, why do the nations rage? Verse 4, it shifts to now God's reaction to their raging. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. This sounds odd. God is laughing at their raging. The Bible says this a few times. Psalm 37, 13, the Lord laughs. Psalm 59, 8, the Lord laughs. But as many have said before, when God laughs, nothing's funny. He laughs at how off they are. May you not take the Lord's laughing here as a complete summary of how God is towards sinners. Three accounts of Him laughing are very small to the hundreds of accounts of Him saying He has compassion upon us. He cares for us. That He loves us. That He's working for us. That He is near to us. But He laughs here because their attempts are in vain. He he laughs here because man in his sinfulness is, is convinced they are winning. They're never winning. Any opposition to God, you and your sins from last night thinking that it's okay is not winning. There is no winning against God. He always wins. He is the victor. And apart from Him, there is no victory. So He laughs and He holds them in derision. He can mock them is what that means. But then after that, He does speak and He says, 
He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury. Notice that from laughter to terrifying can happen so very quickly with God. We need not take our time with God. We need to run to Him and allow Him to forgive us. And yet, in his wrath and in his fury, here's what he says. I have a king. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God has a king. It says, my king. The nations have a king. The church has a king. God himself has a king. He says here, my king. And in the midst of rage and in the midst of vain plotting, in the midst midst of him laughing, in the midst of derision, in the midst of him speaking in wrath and fury, he says, I have a king. Charles Spurgeon says that he has already done that which the enemy seeks to prevent. While they are proposing, he has disposed of the matter. They're raging and plotting in vain to do away with the king, and God has already taken his king and set him on the throne, and he reigns. Every single attempt done underneath the king to to get rid of the king will be a failure. He's the king. Notice God's reaction to the raging of the nations. Notice God's reaction to our vain lives that seek to find pleasure in anything else other than the King Jesus. God says, in no hurry, laugh, derision, fury, wrath. He says, I have a king. And I have set my king where he belongs. God will not be rushed. God will not be stressed out. God will not be afflicted as if we might be scaring him that our vain attempts are making headway. He is God in the heavens, maker of heaven and earth, and he has set his king where he goes. I used to not know anything about superheroes, but now I know all about superheroes because my kids do. They've got me into it. There's a movie out, it's been out for a while, called The Avengers, which you've probably heard of. And the boys wanted to show me this scene. They know how to work the remote and rewind it and watch it and rewind it and watch it and rewind it. It's awesome how you can do that. And they showed me this scene where Loki, who is the, I don't even know what he is, the bad guy, the evil god or something like that, is flying through the air, and Hawkeye comes up and whips out, he's left-handed, whips out an arrow and pulls it back and shoots it through like the New York City skyscrapers, and Loki's flying on his thing, and Loki is so powerful that he's just flying his thing and just goes, and catches it right there. Loki is strong, like nobody can stop Loki. And then all of a sudden, Hulk, who is impressively, massively strong, Hulk comes flying through the air, jumps up, tackles Loki out of the sky, blasts him through like the 50th floor windows into this skyscraper, and Loki stands up, and let me get this right. Loki stands up to Hulk and says, Enough! All of you are beneath me. I am a god, you dull creature. Loki says that to the Hulk. Can you imagine? The Hulk doesn't say anything. He walks over to this god and picks him up with one hand by both feet and literally just goes... And and is blasting the concrete floor. Concrete is flying everywhere with this Loki who is God. Concrete's flying everywhere and Loki is mutilated, basically. 
That's right. And when he does that, Hulk still has not said anything. Hulk goes walking off and turns back and says, and the, I loved pointing this out to my kids. He turns around to Loki, who was there on the ground, just totally defeated, and says, puny God. Puny God. Folks, there's only one God. And He is anything but puny. He is incredibly strong. And you cannot go against Him. You cannot. The nations may rage and plot in vain. They may set themselves up totally against Him. And kings may be able to create entire countries in our world where it is illegal to believe in that God and that God is not even slightly hurt. He will have His way. His response is, after laughing and with fury, is that I have a king. Now this I have a king that he introduces here is just leading us to where we find out more about the king in just a little bit. But that is God's reaction. Thirdly, this king's reign. Verse 7 says, I will tell of the decree that he has to his king. God has a decree to his king. He says... The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You don't find anything in the Old Testament as rich as this on the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Trinity. This is the best example in the whole Old Testament of Father, Son, God being one that is united, one and the same. This is it. God, speaking of His King, in the face of the raging nation, says, I have a king, and here's my decree to him. King, you are my son. Son, you are the king. King, you are my son. Son, you are the king. King, you are my son. Son, you are the king. This is God. He has a son, and He has a king, and I want to know Him. And he says, today I have begotten you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten. You're familiar with that language? That whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Then He says to him, His begotten Son, Oh, by the way, if you don't believe that that's about Jesus, Hebrews chapter 1 is an argument that Jesus is God. And you know that. And in quoting that Jesus is God, he quotes Psalm 2, verse 7. God said to His Son, Jesus, Today you are My Son. Today I have begotten you. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. It's Jesus. God speaking to Jesus. Then He says to him, Ask of Me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What a statement. And before we see this as strong and an aggressive reaction from God, I want you to see it as the reign of King Jesus. God does not want to find people who love Him and ignore everything else. He will not be that way. 
God is a God of the nations. And whether it be Brazil or Indonesia or Kenya or the USA or Canada or Mexico or wherever else, God views them all the same. God has made every nation for Himself. And it will be either that they have found refuge in Him and therefore they are blessed, or God will oppose them. So He says to His Son, the King, Tell me, ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. I will make them yours. I will make the very ends of the earth your possession. The the small little countries that are so far away. I saw an article this week, a secular article from a newspaper, asking, should society try to help the tribal groups that are still way out there in the world and unreached by the world? From a societal perspective, good question. Should we go to those tribes deep in the jungle of, 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 of South America and try to help them? Should we teach them about clean water and doctors and hospitals? Should we teach them about things? Good question. Or are they, are they fine by themselves? They, they've been lasting for thousands of years. It's a good question. But as people that know God, we don't ask that question. The Bible doesn't leave us a place to ask that question. The Bible says that God made them, loves them, wants love from them. We are to be about them. Every nation, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, whether they're there, we'll go. Whether they're here, we'll go. We want to know them because God wants to know them. We want them to know that God is good. We want them to know that God loves them. That's what we're about. And He says this to His Son. Ask of Me. I'll make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. And then He says, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's harsh. But that will be the end of everybody. Even those of you that are here today who don't know God. God will oppose us in His wrath and deal with us. Please don't see it just as those nations. We Fairdalians will meet the Lord Jesus, the King, in that manner if we don't want Him. He reigns. He reigns in such a way as King that all people, us and the nations, are subject to Him. And not being involved with Him will be bad for us. He is royalty. That's how He reigns. In Acts chapter 13, Paul quotes this passage and he calls it the second psalm. I love that. He calls it the second psalm. The Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago knew that this was Psalm 2. Yes. This is the Word of God. The King reigns. Lastly, the sinner's refuge. You might think that beginning at verse 4 and going all the way to verse 9, that we have an evil God or that we have a God who's, who's not fair or not right, which is what many opponents may say. And you may be correct if all you've ever listened to were street preachers that only know hellfire and brimstone. Or if all you ever hear is judgment and damnation and that type of talk. But if you allow God to speak for Himself, He never leaves it at just that. Our God is rich in mercy and slow to anger and abounding in love. 
I won't speak for the nations, but I'll speak for Josh Green, and I won't even speak for you. It would have been perfectly okay if God had broken me with a rod of iron and dashed me to pieces like a potter's vessel. If you know my sinful heart. It will not be wrong for him to do that to anybody if he has to. But may he not have to. Verse 10, when God Almighty says to His Son, the King, ask me and I'll give them to you. Psalm ends like this. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry, and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. God doesn't let the psalm end with, alright, they've disobeyed me, I'm going to destroy them. He doesn't. That's not the heart of our God. His heart is, Be wise, O kings, don't oppose me. Turn from your rage. Turn from your vain plotting, O rulers of the earth. Hear my warning. Serve me. Rejoice with me. Kiss the Son, the Lord Jesus. Would you here today turn your allegiance to Jesus and kiss Him? Would you here today admit that you have been unloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ? To the King, to the Son, to the King, to the Son. God's Son and God's King. You have not been faithful to Him. And would you come back and kiss Him in the most beautiful way and say, God, have mercy on me. God, make me Yours. In John chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus says, listen, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father that sent the Son. Is that a good verse or what? There is nobody anywhere that loves God without loving Jesus. There's no way to. It's impossible. Jesus forgives us of our sins. And through forgiveness, we have been reconciled to God. And we therefore love God. Let me read that verse again. John 5, 23. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father that sent the Son. In a psalm like Psalm 2, that deals with the rage of our frustrations and our sinfulness, and then trying to set up our lives in a vain attempt to be okay with who we are without God. There's no such thing. I know people that in their 30s were raging, 40s are raging, 50s are raging. They're trying to figure out life apart from God, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And yet it ends with Him saying, 
Kiss the Son. Turn to the Son that He may not be angry against you. Charles Spurgeon says, Oh, how wise, how infinitely wise is obedience to Jesus. And how dreadful is the folly of those who continue to be His enemies. So wrong. It's not getting you anywhere. It's a vain attempt. He goes on to say, one of my favorite quotes ever that I hope would be your response today. This day, my God, I hate sin not because it damns me, but because it has done you wrong. To have grieved my God is the worst grief to me. Today, in light of Psalm 2, where God just shows us our sinful, disobedient raging against Him that will get us nowhere, would you turn to Christ when my son was raging over his shoe? Raging. I walked away. A few minutes later, he comes back, shoes on, tied, everything's good. May we get over our raging. Would you admit today you're never going to win at making yourself right? And would you bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I'll follow you? Be a Christian. God's way is the best way. And may Psalm 2 confirm that in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the second psalm. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. May he be our safety. May he be our comfort. May we know that with God we have a refuge. Father, make it clear to us today that our problem is ourselves. And Jesus died for that. God, we ask you to work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.